Hey everyone, quick note before we begin. I sincerely apologize for a bit of the sound quality and for the massive delay in getting this episode out. Unfortunately, my main computer decided to give me the error code boot device inaccessible and it be dead. It be real dead. Fortunately, I was able to recover enough files from that computer so I can edit the episode on my, well, slower, weaker computer, but we got it done and I hope you enjoy. Crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels. A casual conversation. Talk episode 040 of the monthly podcast of gamers talking tech science of whatever else comes to mind. I'm your host, Anthony DeRossi, and with me this episode is president of Velen Studios, Gua Bala. Gua, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to meet with me today. Yeah, hey, it's uh, great to be here, uh, Anthony. It should be really fun. Oh, I'm lo- really looking forward to this. Should have some really good conversations. And we were actually able to connect briefly at the end of the was it the Creative Capital mm-hmm. uh, at the WMHT Studios? Yeah. That was a heck of a program. So I mentioned it a little bit in my last episode. Just to recap briefly, there's a lot of creative creativity going on in the Capital Region between art and music, theater, and yes, video games. Mm-hmm. So I was able to link up with you towards the end, afterwards, very briefly, uh, where I was able to kind of pitch this idea and thank you again so much for uh, joining me. How was your experience being involved w- with that? Uh, you know, I've been uh, involved with the uh, Alliance for the Creative Economy, which is a group that uh, uh, really self-organized uh, a few years ago uh, after identifying, hey, you know, the fourth largest employer in the capital region of, uh, of the state, which is a 12-county area here, mm-hmm. um, that uh, the creative economy is the fourth largest employer. Employs, I think, about thirty thousand people. That's quite a bit. Twelve county area, mm-hmm. and for metro this size, it's about a million person metro. For metro this size, it's pretty uh, pretty big, and it's just behind government. It's behind, I think, it's behind higher education, and then um, and medicine, okay, uh, healthcare, and that kind of thing, which are uh, huge sectors as well. And the important piece of it is that half of these folks are freelancers. And so that's why it's a surprising fact. You know, 16,000 freelancers in this, uh, in this area, and typically they're busy doing their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, their craft work or their podcast, as the case may be. <laughs> it could be a side hustle, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But it's a big economic generator. And because they're freelancers, they get hardly any real formal organization. I can completely understand that. They kind of like just do it for the love of it mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and maybe make a living. And so... That's a case with all creative businesses. You, you know, I became part of it because it was fascinating to me. You know, in my own world of video games, I identified, you know, the typical go-tos, you know, uh, film and TV, media and marketing, video games, you know, books. You know, these are pretty typical areas for our creative economy. Um, but it was much more than that. Uh, and that was really fascinating to me. It's always interesting to find people from diverse backgrounds, but sort of on a common mission. And what's fascinating to me is the number of freelancers to go back onto that point, yeah. because they're not 
working towards a larger goal, larger corporate goal, mm-hmm. or fill, filling a specific specific need at the macro level. It's this is what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. This is what inspires me. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to push into. Mm-hmm. So you have just really, and I say this with affection, weird and funky little things popping up all over the place. Mm-hmm. And right now we're recording in downtown Troy. Right. Look out any window in Troy, and there's little independent either craft shops mm-hmm. or bistros or studios. All like the whole gamut is in Troy. So that's it's very interesting to me to, to just like I've witnessed it, mm-hmm. I see it happening, mm-hmm. but it was really cool and kind of validating to actually see the numbers, right? Actually put down onto it, yeah. And every little bit, you know, there's a Sure, with, uh, you know, LPs and sort of retro sort of records and that kind of thing. There's a beat store, which I'm like, well, wow, you know, what kind of downtown can really support a beat store? Well, you know what? Well, hey, if they're surviving. Well, you know, the, the cool thing about it is that uh, this kind of revitalization of downtown areas um, allows for sort of old buildings with lots of characters, with really creative new types of businesses that move in. And importantly, they can have a presence on Main Street. They can also have an internet presence that's robust. And that's how these... Many of these businesses survive. Okay. Whistling Kettle around the corner is a tea blender. They have a really nice uh, restaurant there as well. They're in business because they have a huge internet business in tea uh, as well. All right. And so that's a way of being able to have your own brand, not be a chain store, mm-hmm. be in a downtown, which is cool and quirky and can support your small business, but also have some of the scale benefits of being around the world as well. Yeah, the landscape is definitely changing. Yeah. Has changed yeah, and definitely. continues to change. Mm-hmm. So... All right, cool. So, how have the holidays been treating you so far? It's been, uh, well, we're still early in the holiday period. It's uh, December 23rd. <laughs> yes, as we're recording this. Yeah, exactly. And um, it, it's been a great year for us at Valen Studios and Valen Ventures. Mm-hmm. You know, we've looked at lots of opportunities. Um, you, you know, one of the things that we really love to do and the purpose of our game company is to discover new ideas. Okay. And... Um, you think, well, you know, when you think of games, you'd be like, well, it's all about new ideas. Well, most of the game business is dominated by existing ideas that are made slightly better each year. Yes. The dominant recurring game franchises. So really finding diamonds in the rough is in and of itself a creative exercise. Mm-hmm. Either new concepts that are generated directly here, and we're bringing out to the world, but our minimum bar is really something surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that doesn't previously exist, a play pattern that doesn't exist. We're finding it out there. Uh, and uh, harder than one might expect, but super rewarding. So it's okay. a really great year. Excellent. Ah. And it's a good wind down for us too. Um, you know, we tried to meet last week, but you know, everybody tries to get out before the holidays. <laughs> yes. So it's a nice kind of downtime right. for us where we can uh, you know, take a little bit slower, mm-hmm. be a little reflective, do some planning, catch up on the hundred things that we haven't gotten done yet. You know, and that's some of the benefits of coming into the office when it's a holiday week. Sure, everyone yeah. wants to take the holidays off yeah. and get away from it. But if you can just sit in your cube or office mm-hmm. and actually think <laughs> for a little bit, not be bogged down with a whole bunch of questions. I mean, I came through. It's it's clear we're not at full staff right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing at my day job earlier mm-hmm. today. Definitely not a full staff, but you can actually sit and actually organize thoughts and actually get around to a lot of the smaller mm-hmm. details and finish up this one report or finally organize this one project yeah. you've been working on. Sure. So definitely, 
I've been in business long enough, <laughs> the, the corporate world long enough to understand. So, <clears throat> hey, got to switch the schedules around. So let's move into the the guest interview uh-huh. portion of this. And in my notes, I just have and here in quotation marks standard origin story <laughs> talk. Yeah, yeah. So, Villain Studios, not your first venture uh-huh. into gaming. So let's go all the way back. Mm-hmm. So. How did we start, and for the listeners, what time frame are we talking about? Uh, well, um, my brother, I started our first company, Vicarious Visions, uh, with my brother, Karthik. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had just moved to Rochester, New York, from Florida before that. Uh, we spent a lot of our childhood in England. Uh, oh, really? Uh, we were in the northern part of England, small mill town uh, in Lancashire. Uh, and uh, before that, we were both born in India. I lived there until I was six and he was seven. So we were about 13 when we came to Rochester. Okay. We didn't know anybody. We always enjoyed creative things, you know, uh, writing comic books, writing stories, um, designing board games. Okay. In this case, maybe making short films. Um, so anything and, creative. You're yeah, all over the place. Also Fabulous. Okay. You know, interestingly, while my friends had Atari and they had a computer, uh, computers and games and stuff like that, we just didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we were forced to do our own creative work. Okay. My parents worked a lot. They're both physicians. And so we would spend time indoors. At that time, cable TV didn't exist in England. And we were just super bored all the time. So we were forced <laughs> into creative activities. <laughs> Actually, I, idle hands, yeah. a little bit idle hands. But... Well, you know, creativity. One of the biggest catalysts for creativity is boredom. I you need to it. empty your head mm-hmm. to be creative. You don't want to be busy all the time to be creative. It's one of the things that's uh, really key to coming up with new ideas. You know, so deep study is important, but boredom is also really important. <laughs> and so that kind of boredom led us to, you know, when we went to Rochester, we um, didn't know anybody. And we started calling around to upgrade our computer. It was an old computer at that time. And uh, we met a guy, put his job at Kodak. And started the company in his basement making PC sound cards. It was one of the things we were missing in our computer. Oh, and uh, so we visited him. He didn't live too far away. And he said, well, what do you guys like to do? We said, well, we like to do creative things and we like games. And he said, well, you should make one. I said, well, how do we do that? <laughs> no, we don't know how to do that. Uh, and uh, he handed us a Turbo C book and an Autodesk anima- Animator book, a package. Okay. A box with a, with a CD in it. He said, go learn it. I said, okay, well, how hard could this be? <laughs> but every time we took a step and we learned out, well, there's five more, each one of those steps was super fascinating for us. Beautiful. We started making our first game. We went to our first business meeting shortly afterwards. We didn't have a name. And Carthage had misspelled Vicarious on a spelling list in English. He said, what about Vicarious Visions? And we said, okay. It was a couple minutes before we stepped into our first meeting and it stuck. Wow. Okay. Wow. We came up with right name. there. Yeah, and okay. we kept on going with it, you know, so we had our first game, we learned how to do this, we, it was a company called Access Software in Salt Lake City, they made golf games and they made a series of point and click adventure games, okay. and uh, they had a studio called Flashpoint Productions that had made these Tex Murphy adventures, we found, we, we liked the game, and we found the customer service number, called it up and said, oh, what's the number for the CEO of this company, and uh the QA person actually uh, gave us the number. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was his office number, not his home number. Well, okay. So we called in. We said, hey, we're this game company. We're looking for a game engine, and we need some help, and you know, we'd like to license your engine. And he said, okay. 
And he uh, eventually gave, uh, said, okay, well, let me fly out and visit you guys. And uh, he flew out, landed in the Rochester airport, and, you know, on the other side were a couple <laughs> of high school students. He was like, well, you can pay me when you get your first publishing game. <laughs> okay. So he gave us this game engine, and that's how we were able to start programming our first game. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had to do all the programming around it mm-hmm. uh, and all that stuff. I started as the art director. I did all the artwork and drawings for our game. Um, we work side gigs, um, check coats in art gallery, I clean glass at a lab, um, got grant money for doing some summer projects and stuff like that for research and anything that we had, we pulled into hiring people. Okay. So we hired artists that would do paint overs of the line drawings that I did. We go to the, go to the Kinko's and scan them. Okay. We did, uh, you know, all the work to be able to do that production. We signed a publisher when I was a senior, uh, in high school and then, Got it out when, when I just started college um, in 1996. Or, you know, I was probably a sophomore in college at the time by the time it actually got published. And uh, it didn't work out. It, it wasn't a great commercial success. You know, our publisher was put off. Uh, they were doing other things at the time. Interestingly, the reason the publisher was called 21st Century Entertainment, so okay. a UK based company. They first published Dice, Battlefield Dice. The EA dice. Oh, okay. They started in games by making pinball games. Mm-hmm. Pinball dreams, pinball fantasies, and that, that was a claim to fame for this publisher. They've made all these pinball games on I, PC. I'm, I'm, my eyes are like rolling back. Like, I remember this. Yeah. I remember these. Those are fun. Yeah, they're really Those good are pinball really games. Fun. Okay. But they needed more than pinball games. So we were that more than pinball game. Hey, adventure game. okay. It was actually a pretty good adventure game, as it turned out, called Synergist. Okay. And so it was our first game. It wasn't a commercial success, but we wanted to keep going, so we did. We kind of first steps, right? Yeah, we talked up our lessons and that kind of thing. And you know, so sequentially, we just really learned how to do things. We knew how we needed to become a, a, a commercial enterprise, not just a creative one. Okay. Uh, and so uh, we got some investment from a lo- local angel investment company here. Oh, beautiful! Called Exponential Business Development. It was when angel investment was at its very early stages. Very common now. Mm-hmm. It was much less common in the, in the mid '90s. Okay. Uh, when we got our, our first set of investments, I was in school at the time. Mm-hmm. A fellow, Mike Marvin, who was a bit of a local legend at the time, founded Map Intro Corporation that was then sold to okay. those here in, in the area. Said, "Well, I'm making an investment in you if you keep your headquarters here." It's part of their economic development efforts to keep. Uh, um, tech businesses in the capital region. Gotcha. Oh, so that was an initiative. Even back then. Oh, yeah, because okay. at that time, people would say, hey, you can't do software here. It's just not a tech place uh, and that kind of thing. So we said, well, look, I mean, we're going to get good business advice. We'll get some money, which we needed. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so we'll do it. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll keep our business here. Uh, and so we did. And that was a bit of a handshake deal at the time. You know, we were the first couple game developers in the capital region uh, mm-hmm. at the time. You know, today we have a bit of a cluster of game developers. Over a couple dozen, almost a couple dozen companies here, 500 developers. We're at the, we're a little bit further ahead than Montreal was 20 years ago. Okay. Um, today. Okay, and there's some big names in Montreal. Montreal is yep. huge. It's got yep. 11,000 game development individuals, and you know tons of companies. So mm-hmm. many companies. I think it was like 450 companies. Okay. In Quebec province, so it's about you know maybe 350 in Montreal um, proper. And, um, you know, something that we, maybe we can make Capital Region to be a version of that in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a few questions and mm-hmm. thoughts just kind of like <laughs> ran through my head. Uh, I'll start with this one. 
as you were developing mm-hmm. as a company and mm-hmm. learning your lessons. And you know, so first steps, you know, the first game wasn't a commercial success. Hey, that's part of the learning process. Yeah. How important is it to reflect on like a lessons learned mm-hmm. type of thing? When you put something out, something doesn't work. I'm just going to mm-hmm. a very broad something doesn't right. work for either aspiring entrepreneurs mm-hmm. or people just trying to move in to a business or make their creative hobby a business, how important is to learn how to do a proper lessons learned? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the answer is pretty simple, but it's much harder to practice mm-hmm. uh, as most basic, most of the most profound practices mm-hmm. are. It is important to reflect on what might not work. It's important not to dwell on it. Yes, I agree. Most important, because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting right. a different result. It's important to then take action. However comfortable or uncomfortable it might be, you, you have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people don't. Most of the reasons that you can come up with for change is external. That's, that's the easiest thing to point to. The market mm-hmm. wasn't right. My timing was off. My, you know, the critics don't appreciate it the way I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> my marketing people or my publisher or my salespeople didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Or my partners or I got screwed by my whatevers. It be a hundred different reasons. The only thing you could change is the things mm-hmm. under your control. Because... That might very well be. Like the, the timing might not have been right. Yeah. Whoever the critic was might not have truly understood. Mm-hmm. But but that's on them. Reflect back. Be honest with yourself. What can we change from the inside to move right. forward? Because that's what you can control. And as an entrepreneur, you take risks. But the successful one beat the risk by being mindful of, okay, what am I going to do to make timing right the next time? Yes. Okay. Get a better distributor next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if the capability, if the entrepreneur is limited in the capabilities, how are they going to get a better team next time? Okay. How do they replace themselves if they're the weaker link? That's got to be painful. That's got to be like personally painful. Well, um, thing. It, it depends. It, it really depends. I mean, it depends on what makes you tick. Mm-hmm. If you're motivated by the success of what you're doing and uh, uh, enjoying the ride along the way, it's a good idea to be self-reflective. And if you're, you have some of the gaps, bridge them with somebody else. Okay. If your vision is to grow the pie so everybody benefits, that shouldn't be a problem. But if you're in a world where you need to touch everything, you need to control everything, and it's more about having a greater share of a limited pie, really what you want is autonomy and independence in a small environment that becomes a lot harder to do. Okay. And so none of these are perfect answers, but uh, if you need to be, there are creative individuals that I know and entrepreneurs that I know that their purpose of being an entrepreneur is to do their own thing mm-hmm. and be their own boss and uh, do it the way that they think it needs to be done. That's a very much a craftsman approach. To doing I can things. see that. I've honed my art and my practice, and this is exactly how to do it. My expert chef. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it a certain way. I have my certain formula for success. Uh, that's actually quite difficult to, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to be really reflective and change things because what you value is the way you do it. Okay. That you've honed over many years. And if the need for that changes, it's actually awfully difficult to tackle that. Because you have to admit that your way is either wrong or ineffective. And what I have seen and what I have kind of reflected in myself at times is you have to put your ego in check Mm -hmm. and say, 
I didn't do it right. Like my way is not the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I have forced myself to swallow that pill, but I can completely empathize with someone else if like, this is the way I have done it. It's been working for X number of years. I'm going to continue to do it this way because that's what's worked. Mm-hmm. Times are changing. Mm-hmm. Environments, whatever, just the, I'm going to use the term the scene. Right. I, I'm pantomiming air quotes right now. The scene has changed. Mm-hmm. Methods change. Yep. And if you as a person, as the entrepreneur, haven't stayed current, well, you can still be the boss, but as you mentioned, find someone else to fill that gap mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. And uh, especially if you view yourself as the expert, you know, at something. And so it's also with the perspective that um, even if you are an expert, you know, I've developed an expertise in certain things over time. The way to really embrace change is to have a beginner's mindset. Okay. Um, it gives you the openness to new ideas. You empty your brain, in other words. It's also really important for creativity. Uh, that is such brain. a fascinating point to me because I hadn't considered it. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense to be, if you want to be creative, you need to like empty your mind and in some ways be bored. Because if you are busy all the time, you always have something occupying your brain. You always have a certain goal in mind, Mm -hmm. but you're not exploring other possibilities. Mm -hmm. Am I understanding you correctly? Yeah, it's like, um, you know, in, um, uh, you know, creativity research, it it means going to an open state Mm -hmm. instead of being just productive you need to do to get things done. You know, understood. Yeah. And stuff like that. Instead of just being productive, you need to go to this uncomfortable space of being actually quite unproductive and give yourself a, sort of permission to think mm-hmm. a little bit beyond. Uh, and there's ways of doing that in a structured way, in a structured manner, which is sort of a weird paradox. Structured chaos. It's more like, you know, allocating 90 minutes a week to being able to do it. Okay. On a systematic basis, and just it takes the first 30 minutes to just get out of your element. Okay. And a good period of time to be able to just start thinking a little bit more openly. And if we can become a discipline of doing that on a structured basis, on, on like a regular basis. But in that period of time, getting rid of the interruptions, having no expectations as to specifically what the output is, and really going with it and getting all of your creative inputs and stuff like that, being able to explore. And some of the really good ideas come from that. Okay. So moving on into a little bit of the tech and geekery, something I really would love to get your input on is that a little while back, Gearbox Software announced that Battleborn will begin to be sunset, Mm -hmm. meaning that they are beginning to phase the game out. Now, me personally, I I love the game Destiny so much. People know this is just like common knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is an always online game. Mm-hmm. Other games, like m- many of the uh, MOBAs, uh, many games which are highly successful right now, are always online. They're essentially multiplayer only. Battleborn had a very interesting blend. They, Gearbox was very creative in the way they approached this. It just didn't hit a proper stride for whatever reason, but it's being sunset. Mm-hmm. And once this is complete, this game will no longer be playable. Mm-hmm. Is this like the inevitable fate of every always online game? 
it, you know, Anthony, I think um, it, it it is really possible that there's a class of games that are relying on live content and continuous updates to provide the engagement. Mm-hmm. That there'll always be an endpoint for what that is, regardless of monetization strategy, mm-hmm. um, because it's actually quite expensive oh. uh, to mm-hmm. be able to one maintain the servers and then maintain a continuous flow of content that you need to keep that environment interesting. Okay. And keep consistent with what the brand promises that are. Um, I mean, if it's a shrink wrap adventure game package or something like that, where you'd be like, well, here's my 12 hours of gameplay I pay 60 bucks for, like an Uncharted uh, or something like that. Okay. Um, and if you're 100% it, maybe it's more like 20, but for most people it's more like 12. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, something like that. If you do that, you have a pretty good satisfaction. You're like, okay, well, that's my 60. Mm-hmm. It was money well spent. There's a lot of entertainment I got for 60 bucks. Some of these adventure, uh, these online games, you could play for years uh, and never monetize via microtransaction, mm-hmm. pay a subscription for, which is really only what MMOs do, mm-hmm. uh, and just pay the initial cost of entry. And that's actually a pretty tough proposition for a game company unless they continue to sell base copies. Right. Unless their audience continues to grow. And it's still a big question for Destiny in my mind. Okay. Uh, not having any direct knowledge of that, but... Uh, well, they did recently go free to play. And they went free so, to play with some of the old stuff. Yes. So they'll get more users into it so they can sell more of the new stuff. Right. 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 But, but fundamentally, it's if you pay 60 bucks and you give, let's say, 20 hours of content, and you give 10 more hours of content because players are still engaged with it. But only 1% of those players, 2%, up to 6%, mm-hmm. really monetize with microtransactions. Because mm-hmm. not everybody is motivated by cosmetic purchases. No. They're paying for mm-hmm. the gameplay, not for the cosmetics, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's all that's happening. In theory, you're spending more and more money for the same people that you've already sold the game to without getting any more money from it. So the game starts costing more than you make from it. That's unsustainable for a developer. Absolutely. Right? They just can't pay. It's absolutely, yeah. Like Destiny's over 1,000 people that supported that title at some point. It's a huge cost to developing that game. The Gearbox is not 1,000 people. But it's a sizable developer, and the mm-hmm. platform will have a sizable sort of ongoing cost. In, in, in addition to the significant infrastructure costs that are involved in running that. So if you look at that sort of model, it only really works if in the first year you saw 5 million people, in the second year, by providing more mm-hmm. content to the first 5 million people, you're selling another 5 million copies. So it's like mm-hmm. a viral mechanism that keeps the audience growing. That's not going to go on forever. There's only so many people that are going to play your game. You can't sell the game to to the same person multiple times. Uh, Well, Well, unless you release on multiple platforms. In theory, you can with expansion packs. Yes, okay. In theory, or with microtransactions. But it totally depends on whether they do it or not. Mm -hmm. Whether they're going to come back and do it. Not everybody does. And I've gone on record many times saying I love the concept of Mm -hmm. microtransactions. I've had a couple of other game devs on here where we talked about, Mm -hmm. we didn't get quite into the numbers that you just mentioned, but we did talk about like, you need to maintain these servers. Mm-hmm. You need to be constantly producing more content, either story or right. gameplay mechanics, like n- new stuff. <laughs> these developers want to be paid what they're worth, uh-huh. which is not minimum wage. <laughs> yeah, well, forget about the minimum wage and what they're worth and what's not, which is, you know... It, it That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, it could be subjective. You know, what is a developer... Worth, uh, you know, what should a developer get paid? But it's just the fact that you have to, it costs money to make it. Right. So if it costs money to make it and support it, 
and uh, you play it for 20 hours and you get some value out of it. But there's no more way to recover. There's not a good way to recover the additional cost of developing for it. If your audience is not growing and it's shrinking, that goes upside down. Mm -hmm. The developer gets less money than it costs to make it. Uh, and so then you just kind of either go out of business or you have to sunset the product. Right. So that would be the decision that Gearbox had to make. Now, for them, it's probably not existential. Like they probably wouldn't have gone out of business. Mm -hmm. But they will if they continue to do if they, Yeah, if they continue. Right? <laughs> Understood. Yeah, so, this, so that's this really the practical. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only business. I mean, even creative people, this is the kind of the combination we had to learn early. To be creative, you also have to be a little commercially minded. Though it should be consumer focused. It should be consumer first. It should mm -hmm. be player first. You have to make more than you spend. Otherwise, you just, it's like, you know. You know it, it's not a business. It's a you, hobby. You can only borrow so much from your credit card, right? <laughs> right. You know, you have to be able to make more than you spend to keep doing it. So, hey, I'll keep playing. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I will love it. <laughs> All right. So, I do have a article for the Capital Region Unlocked segment. I'm so happy I get to continue this every episode. UAlbany unveils a state-of-the-art gaming arena. So this article I'm pulling is coming from our local Times Union. And I pulled this because UAlbany is definitely one of the larger schools mm -hmm. in the area. It's, it's a good-sized school. And earlier... My mind is a complete mush right now because I have a two-month-old at home and I'm in the, in the process of raising two, a couple little ones at this point. I believe it was this year. Yes. The Hudson Valley GamerCon. Bert Karthik uh, came, yeah. yep, came and I sat in on his panel. It was a great panel discussing esports mm -hmm. in the capital region. And at the Hudson Valley GamerCon, there were like 20 or so schools from the from around the state. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's far away. I know Canton is a good four-hour or so drive. I'm not sure if there are any other schools that were farther out than that, but 20-ish, let's say ish, schools come to the Capital Region mm -hmm. for a three-day esports tournament. You Albany, if they were to enter this this arena, so to speak, definitely would be the biggest school. Mm -hmm. But so clearly esports just continues to grow. Mm -hmm. So what has been your perception of esports, like in general, let alone the capital region? Well, I think esports is great. It's a different way to enjoy gaming. Mm -hmm. We find all kinds of ways to do it. It used to be that you looked at your Nintendo Power and then you mm -hmm. played at home, and so right. occasionally you had a friend over and did that, right? So the fact that you can enjoy um, at a venue, mm -hmm. um, you know, competitive tournament, and it's as entertaining as a live sports um, game, it's pretty amazing. You know, I mean, it's a really experience, uh, awesome experience. I went to ESL won last year. Uh, I missed it this year in the uh, Barclays Center in September. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's just packed. You know, it's... I think it's like any, anyway, many thousands of people. I think it was between five and 10,000 people okay. uh, in the stadium. And so much energy. CSGO is just amazing to watch, especially when there's good talent to narrate it. Okay. Uh, and narrate the action and that kind of thing. Um, and it was just really super fun. So it's a great way for us all to engage in gaming. It's very viewable. And that kind of thing. It's still early stage. It's very early stage in its development. You know, the games themselves, there are some things that esports haven't done yet successfully. 
most of the people that watch it are players of the game. Okay, makes uh, sense. You know, just, unlike real sports where not everybody that watches basketball plays basketball. Okay. Some may have, but most don't. There's not a lot of local affinity to teams mm-hmm. the way that real sports have it. Well, so, it's all virtual, right? Well, like it's potentially. Yeah, what is the meaning of Team Liquid, for example? Who are they and why mm-hmm. do I care about them? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little abstract. I don't really know why. Okay. I, I do or should. Um, the, the other thing is, like, the actual narrative doesn't really easily fit into our modern narrative for sports. Like, CSGO is really fun to watch, but I don't quite know why. I care about <laughs> okay. Same way I care about basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same way I care about football. So these are things that I think need to evolve in esports to make it so it's not just me and my gamer buddies that watch it. Right. But it's uh, everybody. It's something for everybody. You know, that said, I think it's a, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the universities could tur- turn them into profitable franchises, I think that that's really a good thing, too. Mm-hmm. Well, and rummaging through my head, leading up to the Hudson Valley GamerCon, I was able to meet up with Gaming Insomniacs uh-huh. uh, in downtown Schenectady. Yeah. And they're creating, like, their own league. Mm-hmm. And all the teams that they're creating, they're basing off of cities in New York State. Mm-hmm. So they're, they have the, the Troy team, the Albany team, uh, I think they have Syracuse team. Mm-hmm. I have to go back and check. Yeah. But so they're actually trying to tap into that aspect mm-hmm. of it. Like, all right, I live in Albany. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to root for the, and offhand I can't remember what their team names are. But mm-hmm. uh, so they're trying mm-hmm. to to get into that. And when I was at the GamerCon, I have to admit I'm not a really esports kind of guy. Yeah. I'm the kind of guy that plays. Well, before kids, I would play the epic RPGs, mm-hmm. uh, 200 hours sunk into Dragon Age Inquisition type mm-hmm, of thing. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. I had a lot of fun watching the Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never played League of Legends, but just gaming for 30 plus years, I was able to pick up what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you have to capture this point. Okay, you need to yeah, yeah. hold this lane down and mm-hmm. this uh, character type has this type of attack and strength and you got to balance that. Cool. I got it. It was a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. So to see that kind of develop in the Albany area or just, just in general is really, it makes me smile. I don't know why, yeah. but it makes me smile. I think it's another way, uh, another great way for us gamers to enjoy gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see more people come into gaming as a result. I'd like to just see more people just watch it. Mm-hmm. than just the gamers. Uh, but I think it's another great way for us to enjoy it, for sure. And if it's happening here, it's happening around the country. There wouldn't be anything oh, sure. exceptional about this area for that. And that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. It also makes me smile in a way that, as it develops, universities are beginning to give scholarships for it. Mm-hmm. So now those with potentially either physical disabilities or those who are just, you're just not athletic. Mm-hmm. The, the the great creator, whichever one it may be, did not bless you with muscle mass. Mm-hmm. But now you still have a, an opportunity, potentially, for a sports scholarship. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's growing, right? It's, it's definitely, if you have a successful program in place, it'll bring people to the university, or at least visibility mm-hmm. to the university. Sure. I, I mean, I think that, um, you know, on the topic of sports scholarships for esports and that kind of thing, that would have to be evaluated on its merits by the individual institutions. You know, for example, mm-hmm. 
does it bring franchise revenue to warrant the scholarships? You know, we'll, thing, we'll right? see, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's kind of the calculation that they need to make. It's not totally evident to me what how they look at esports and how they evaluate it. Whether they evaluate it as just a trend thing that they need to invest mm-hmm. in, or they're looking at the underlying economics of it, or they're looking at you know sort of what developmentally it could do for you know, let's say, student athletes. Mm-hmm. We know from a learning benefit. You know, developing the mind and the body at the same time is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, whatever your skill and capability level is, mm-hmm. you don't have to be an athlete to, um, you know, mm-hmm. do exercise, you know, that sure. kind of thing, right? Yeah. And so it, it also could teach you a lot about leadership and, and communication and so forth. So the extent that they give that kind of coaching for esports athletes, mm-hmm. and, and it plays into that, I think that could be a good thing. To the extent that it's just like folks zoning into playing a game all day, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. You know, I'm a game maker. I spend my whole life making games, my, my childhood and my adult uh, life making games. And uh, I think doing more than 30 hours of games a week is, you know, cognitively regressive. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I said this as well. Sure. I, I love gaming. I, I'm doing a gaming podcast. Of course, yeah. I'm a dork like that. But yeah, you reach a point. It's like a bit of an overdose. If I do 50 hours of physical exercise, mm-hmm. I mean, my body's going to break down. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a bit of a, you know, some, some, you know, a little too much of it is not yeah. a good thing. And as a parent, uh-huh. uh, I have uh, my one son, Jacob, who is three. Sure, he loves watching TV and the videos that every kid does. Yeah. And you know, people have asked me, well, what are you going to do when he starts wanting to play video games with dad? I said, well, I'll let him. Sure. But I also understand the importance of physical activity. Yeah, you it's, gotta have a balance of all things, right? Right, including boredom, frankly. <laughs> sure. Otherwise, sure. you know, that's the. I mean, it's yeah, a, yeah, there's something to with it, right? No, I mean, the boredom is like how kids become creative. You mm-hmm. know, if they have stimulation every minute of the day, it actually is, is going to fight their creative tendencies. Yeah, and I've also noticed a few times where if we had told him no, we cannot watch Incredibles right now uh-huh. like you'll get mad at us and i thought uh-huh. no no now we're definitely not watching yeah because I mean, we can... need to redirect that immediately yeah i mean i see that same same thing with my, my children mm-hmm. you know they need to be able to moderate it they need to be yeah. able to say okay i'm going to wait a little longer for it you know those sorts of things and that's let's just say good parenting yeah that's yeah. really what it comes to yeah. fortunately he's loving puzzles right now we have these that's like cool. he, we have these floor puzzles out like take two... him to a barton baker at this point yes Recently, okay. I just brought them over to Barton Baker, right, okay. and they do have a few games that are... They got kind of scale young. Yep. You know, they have some young, young uh, games, too. Uh, that's a fun place to take the kids, right? It's a different menu for, um, for enjoying games. Yeah, and uh, you love their mac and cheese. Yeah. Love their mac and cheese. I'm looking, I'm thinking, you know, respectfully, all you did was crush up some cheeses and throw a little dash of parsley on top, and it looks fancy. Mm-hmm. But I'm totally going to do that next time at home <laughs> because it works. Yeah. It works. But yeah, Barton and Baker are fantastic. So yeah, just again, be a parent, mm-hmm. please. I'm a big proponent of the artistic value of gaming. I, again, I did the whole talk at the Empire State Comic Con of, I, I believe, fully believe that geek culture is inspiring a new generation of artists, mm-hmm. but that's actively engaging in the art, not just. Yeah. consuming the same thing for the sake of consuming for 30 plus hours a week. Every game, game maker works for the same thing.
right, we're going to move into the final section of this episode, the final five. These are five questions that range from irrelevant to irreverent. The first two are always the same. The last three have a theme. Here we go. Mm -hmm. So question number one, coffee or tea? I like both. Excellent. Good choice. Any preferences going on? Well, you know, I make a pressed coffee in the morning, and then I have a sort of variety of different tea in the afternoon, and just usually loose leaf. I would uh, make a kind of a not-too-spicy chai, or I like an Earl Grey without milk, all kinds of different things, but a variety of different things. So you mix it up quite a bit. Oh, quite a bit. All right. right, I like to make it myself, though. Oh, oh, really? Mm -hmm. Perfect. So clearly you play video games. Uh I'm in a video game studio right now. Do you play any tabletop games? Uh, You know, I, I play simple tabletop games with my kids. Such as interacting, like a game of life, okay, uh, you know stuff like that, Clue, you know, classic Monopoly, mm-hmm. okay, you know these types of games. So nothing super. I think the most complex that I've done with them is Ticket to Ride. Okay, uh, Ticket, that's like fun. That. My that's super fun. Yeah, my in-laws have the European version of okay. it as well. So yeah, that's cool. And the main reason for for the non not so elaborate board games is quick setup, easy to get a session in. Yes. And it's more important for me now to maximize the playtime as opposed to setup time and the explanation of rules mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. They tend to be really difficult. Yeah. Well, when I say rule book, I yeah. want rule sheet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving into the final three. And this is, as we said, recording on December 23rd of the new year is just around the corner. So we're going to do some end of year type questions. Okay. So question number three. Any personal projects that got pushed out till next year? Uh, personal projects, I'd say, you know, I have a bunch of things around the house uh, that got pushed out till next year. Tried to get a pool in in December. We had a uh, massive snowstorm. Oh, I've been doing that phrase. Yeah, oh, exactly. that's... <laughs> Not going in in no. December. That's not happening. Going to get the kids out and swimming, mm-hmm. and basically. So that was one of the projects. I have a bunch of other repairs to do. Okay. House, like to do with <sighs> my hands. So Lo- I save it. <laughs> Lovely home ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Question number four. Anything you're saying good riddance to? Um, good riddance. I would say really nothing in particular, actually. Not a lot of good riddance. Right now. <laughs> yeah. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Very good place to be. Question number five, final question. Will you be watching the ball drop? I will not be watching the ball drop. Neither will I. Yeah. I'll be doing something else, but not that. Right. The notion of being in front of a TV at that time? No. Not for me. The, so, again, um, Jacob is three. And since he was born, we've just been zero energy. Past few years, if I have been awake at that time, mm-hmm. I'll like post a picture of like me on the couch. The dog asleep next to me. My mm-hmm. wife asleep next to the dog. Right. Whoa. Right? No, I think it'd be should be super fun, but I don't think it'll be the ball drop for us. All right. And that is all we have for this episode. Time for end of show plugs. You can find the show notes, which contain contact links for all topics discussed for this and all previous episodes at videogamecrosstalk.com, as well as all the social media contacts and occasional blog posts. You can follow me around on Twitter, Instagram, PS4, and Twitch at HyperSyntax, H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X. As for my guest, Gua, where can my beautiful listeners follow either you or Villain Studios around? 
So, Valen Studios at, at Valen Studios for uh, Twitter uh, and uh, on Facebook as well. All right. Mm-hmm. And please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and share this podcast all over your social media accounts. We can be found pretty much on every podcast listening service. This podcast also gets pushed out to YouTube. And I swear when I have the time and energy to do it, I'll do more Destiny Lore videos. We're working on it. And so thank you all for listening. And thank you one last time for joining me for this. Yeah, my pleasure. A lot of fun. And in the words of Doctor Who, first things first, but not necessarily in that order.